This is a one and all media podcast. Now, there's so much to unpack in this passage. And I think you've noticed in this series, we've been dealing with overarching themes rather than going down into the depths of the weeds of the passage. If there's any passage or Christian belief that causes consternation, it is this one. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and this is another episode in our series titled The Trouble with Christianity. And we're picking up from last time when we started looking at a story about the rich man and Lazarus found in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And it's from this passage that we learn that there's a type of person who ends up separated from God for all of eternity. And if you want to hear more episodes from this series titled The Trouble with Christianity, you can find this sermon and many more wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. But here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of this message to help us contextualize this concept for today's world. Now, remember what we said, hell is Gehenna, separation from the city, the people, the presence of God. Now, what are the characteristics of the person who ends up in this place called hell? Well, somebody was, well, it's obviously a place for Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Saddam Hussein, Mugabe, all those guys. That's all? This is where Jesus' story really helps us. For years, I could not get my head around this because I couldn't understand what Jesus was trying to communicate. They're difficult words. So now in the passage, in Luke 16, I want you to notice that we have two different men with different earthly statuses. You've got an extremely poor man, man and an extremely rich man. In fact, the rich man is so wealthy that we're told he dressed in purple and fine linen. Purple is the outer garment of royalty. Fine linen is the underwear. So he's so wealthy, he has expensive underwear. We're also told that he walked out of the gate of his home every day and the poor man was so poor that his friends actually had to lay him at the gate. He didn't even have his own ability and volition to walk and to beg at the rich man's table. We're also told that what he wanted was the crumbs that fall or fell from the rich man's table. And the word used there is a a lesser type of bread. Uh, As we've said before in the first century, when they would eat, they would cleanse their hands of the dirt, grease, and grime after they'd had a meal if you were wealthy, and they would take a lesser grain of bread, barley bread, and wash their hands and then throw those crumbs under the table. Those are the crumbs for which the poor man was begging. Now, the reason this is difficult is because, so does that mean if you're poor, you automatically go to heaven, and if you're rich, you automatically go to hell? Well, that doesn't make any sense because there are plenty of wealthy people mentioned in the scripture who are fully committed, dedicated followers of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that really should concern us because 
By today's standards, you and I are the wealthy ones. That would mean we have no chance to get into heaven. So that can't be, and it's not what it means. But notice the second thing in the parable. Although their statuses now have been reversed, the rich man seems to be blind to that reality. Isn't it amazing? He calls Father Abraham and he says, hey, send Lazarus. Send my water boy. Send my servant. Treats him the same way he treated while he was living on planet earth. Nothing's really changed. He still thinks that this poor man, Lazarus, exists to supply and meet his needs and desires. Send that boy, fetch the water boy, have him go get some water and put it on the end of my tongue and cool my tongue because I'm in torment in this fire, he says. Verses 23 and 24. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water, cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Three, the rich man blames God for his predicament. Notice in the story He doesn't ask to get out of hell. He doesn't say, Father Abraham, get me out of here. And he actually implies that God never gave him enough information. He says in verse 28, I have five brothers. Let Lazarus, again, he wants to send Lazarus as his messenger boy. Let him warn them. Go to my family so they'll not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Okay, so the question is, again, who goes to this place? And what are we learning from Luke chapter 16? What are we meant to learn? Well, the fourth thing I want you to notice is that unlike Lazarus, the rich man is never actually given a name. Did you notice that? That's supposed to be a hint. That means he's built his life and identity on his wealth rather than God. So once he lost his wealth, he lost himself. What is the message then? Well, according to Jesus' words in Luke 16 now, because Jesus talked about hell in other passages, but in Luke 16, we're supposed to learn that there is a specific type of person who ends up separated from God for all of eternity. A selfish, arrogant, entitled, self-absorbed individual who worships, trusts, and places his or her worth and security in something other than God. Now, some of you might say, well, isn't that everyone to a degree? Yes, it is. Now, follow me. This may seem like a little rabbit trail, a little rabbit hole, but stay with me. It'll all come out in the end. Imagine that I put on this incredible banquet or party and you're invited. And when you come, you experience all this food, this five-star quality food, this incredible entertainment, and there's gifts distributed to all the guests. And your response to this banquet is an absence of gratitude of any kind. In fact, you resent the fact that it's not your banquet and you're not in charge. You resent that someone else perhaps got something more than you, perhaps time with the host or better food or better present. And you're so self-centered that even though you've experienced this grand uh, event, celebration, you don't seek out the host or make any kind of an attempt to actually show gratitude and thanksgiving to the host that provided all of this. Now, I want to read to you, and I want us to read very carefully what Paul says about the human race when it comes to eternal separation from God. He says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what be be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, and then we're told that God therefore gave them over to the depravity of their minds. Now, what is the real problem here? The problem in Paul's passage is that it's all about you. You don't acknowledge God's provisions. You don't seek a relationship with him. You worship created things rather than the creator. Your hope and your trust and security is in money, sex, power, recreation, liberation to do whatever it is that you want to do. And that's why when you are forced to choose between God and money, you choose money. Between God and sex, you choose sex. God and power, power. God and recreation, recreation. God and liberation, liberation. Therefore, the Bible says that God hands you over to your depravity and gives you over to the ultimate ramifications of the free will choices that you made all of your life. Do you understand that? You have chosen all of your life to live as though God does not exist. There is no seeking or pursuing of God, even though we are all without excuse because even God's handiwork is enough that should catalyze something inside of us to seek the creator and designer of everything that is, including us. Every day at work, and the older I get, the more tired, the more fatigue I become. But every day, about three o'clock, I start thinking how nice it's gonna be when I finish work and drive home to be with my family. And I can't tell you how in the midst of a difficult long day, there's something that happens inside me where I start yearning to be home, to sit with my wife and just enjoy their presence. And then when Ada comes over, my granddaughter and little Owen, my grandson and Delaney and Jessica on those Thursday nights for dinner, it's like the highlight of my week. I long for them, for family. Now, can I ask you something? This ought to help you determine where you are in all this. Is it the primary goal of your life to finish this very long day called life and then go home to be with Jesus? Do you know how important that question is? It is testimony to the Spirit of God in you that you are longing for home, that you are longing to be with the people of God in the city of God in the presence of God. That's why one of the number one descriptors of heaven is in Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Is that you? Can I help you? Do you know why that is not your intention? It's because you've never really understood. You've never gotten over your pride. You still think that life is ultimately about you. And when someone confronts you with this, you go to your default. Pastor Jeff, if there is a hell separation from God, I'm not going. And I say, why? And you say, because I'm a good person. Well, I've got another question to ask you. How do you know that you're a good person? By whose standards? Where do you get the moral law to define the categories of good and evil? Where is your objective point of reference? What measuring rod are you using to determine that you are a good person, therefore you're going to live in the presence of God throughout eternity? 
Let me give you the answer again. It's the same place you receive the information that God is a good and loving God. You define good based upon the objective point of reference called the Bible, whether you realize it or not. The problem is that same Bible says there's no one righteous. No, not even one. You're not righteous. You're not going to go spend eternity with God. Listen, this is so important. It's taken me 35 years to get my head around this. You're not going to spend eternity with God because you're good. And by the way, you're not going to spend eternity in hell because you're bad. None of us are good. No one, not one is righteous. Have you ever lied? Never? You have? What does that make you? It makes you a liar. Did you ever have sex outside of marriage? What does that make you? Sexually immoral. Did you ever look at pornography? What does that make you? Sexually immoral. Have you pursued anything above and beyond God in your life? Put something else before God? Yeah. What does that make you? An idolater. Have you ever placed your trust and security and hope in anything other than God? Like how much money's in your bank account? What does that make you? An idolater. Have you ever taken something that did not belong to you? What does that make you? A thief. Have you ever taken credit for something that belonged to someone else? That makes you a thief. Have you ever been greedy? What does that make you? <laughs> greedy. Have you ever said anything about anybody? Have you ever gossiped or slandered anybody? What does that make you? A slanderer. Have you ever manipulated somebody out of their money? You, have you ever promised them something that you probably knew you could not deliver? What does that mean? A swindler. Now, that same Bible that tells you that God is love tells you this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But you're all of those. And so am I. Well, maybe not all of them, but many of them. But the Bible in the same passage says something else. Paul says, and that's what some of you were, but you're not that anymore. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. The sacrifice of Jesus covers it all. Now, what's he saying? He's saying that although you used to practice those things, now you may slip and fall from time to time, but the bent of your heart, the posture of your life is to do the good because Christ has forgiven you. You have fallen in love with him and now you want to please the one who has given everything for you. To get to that place though requires humility. You have to realize your need and dependence and reliance on Christ's sacrifice to forgive you of all your sins, past, present, future. But to do that means that you have to admit that you're not good. And if you think you're good, you don't need Jesus. Therefore, you will not fall in love with Jesus when you recognize his provision. So why then would you want to be with Jesus in heaven throughout all eternity? Why would you want to be with God in heaven if you don't want to be with God on earth? You don't begin your day with prayer and seeking the face of God. You're not seeking God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So why in heaven's name would you want to be with somebody in eternity that you didn't want to be with while you were living in the temporary on earth? You don't go hard after God now. What makes you think you would enjoy heaven anyway forever? Heaven is to be with Jesus. Hell is to be apart from God. And God is not going to make you go where you don't want to be. That's how much he respects your freedom to choose. 
So now let me give you this wonderful good news once more. We've said, what is hell? Separation from God. Yeah, you have all these imagery, metaphors. Yes, true. But it fails in comparison to what separation from God is really like because where there's no God, there's no good. There's disintegration. There's hopelessness. There's betrayal. There's hatred without the restriction God gives on planet earth. You think about it. How evil would this planet really be if God were to completely remove his presence? There is still some good in the middle of all the wickedness because of the spirit and the working of God. Even in the Holocaust, there are hundreds of stories of salvation and redemption. What would your existence be like if God, the giver, the source of life, and all that is good, removed his presence? Because God knows what that's like. He sends Jesus to tell us that his Father is holy and righteous, and one day justice will roll like a river. But God is so into you that he sent his only son to die on a cross to meet the requirements of his holiness and love. He loves you. That is the gospel story. It is his story in history. He cannot turn a blind eye to your sin. So he sends Jesus to meet the requirements of the righteousness and holiness of a righteous and holy God. So the real question in all of this is really a simple one. Will you humble yourself and receive the wonderful gift? And if you do that, if you genuinely, authentically make that decision, then the Bible tells you that there are byproducts that you will in turn fall in love with Jesus. He will become your everything. You will yearn to be with him, the lover of your soul. And one day we'll all be together with God in the city of God, with the people of God. Because when you lose God, you lose everything that is good. And the reason hell is so difficult to define is because we have no idea of knowing what life is like apart from God. So Jesus gives us metaphors. But the reality of which is far more intense than the language could ever describe. No God, no love, no goodness no intimacy. Everything that God is the source of dissipates. Now stay with me, please. I, I'm a grandfather and I'm loving it. I didn't think I would, but I love it. And when I look at my little granddaughter, Ada, or my little grandson, Owen, my thoughts go in this direction. I look at them and I don't say it out loud, but I, want, I so much want the very best for them. But because I'm older now, I realize that they're going to have choices to make. As I hold Ada in my arms, or little Owen, I think, what do I really want for this child? And how far would I go to make sure this little one ends up on the road to life, health, wealth, and vitality? But I also live with the recognition that this little one has the freedom to grow up and reject me and reject his or her family. This little one could grow up to be strong and resent mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. What if that happens? What if the child insists on living apart from me? And then there's nothing I can do. The life of the child of little Ada or little Owen, their lives apart from me and their grandmother 
will be void of the influence, the goodness and the gifts of the grandfather and the grandmother. And I'm here to tell you that God is no different. You choose. You either live as though he exists and seek desperately to want to be in final community with him. And I go back to what I said earlier. Why on earth? If you're not seeking intimacy with Jesus now, would you want intimacy with him through all of eternity? That's not what you want. You want to escape hell card. That's what you're looking for. Jesus to you is just a get out of hell free card. But the kind of people that end up separated for eternity from God are the kind of people that never pursued God or lived as though God existed now. So I am trying to sound the alarm. Heaven is not about your goodness. Hell is not about your badness. It's about your Savior who saved you from your sins and now seeks relationship with you. So the ultimate question is, have you done that? You long to be with Jesus? You're so grateful for his provision that you've made it personal? And if you have, worship is something you look forward to the most because that's when you experience his presence the most. And it is a sign that you are on your way to heaven to live with the people of God, in the city of God, in the presence of God. Folks, when we talk about eternal separation from God, it's Gehenna, it's hell. But rather than focusing so much on that, I pray that we would understand that God has reached out to us. And what he wants more than anything is to be with us through all of eternity. But he will not force you into that relationship. And so, if you choose to receive Christ's sacrifice in this life, and you truly understand what he's done for you, you will fall in love with him, and you will yearn for heaven. You will make mistakes. It's not about your sin your righteousness, your failings. Jesus paid your sin debt, past, present, future. It's about what do you love? What do you want? Who are you pursuing above and beyond anything else? And if it's Jesus, then you will live with him throughout eternity, the giver of all good gifts. Father, thank you for the power of your word. And I pray in Christ's name now, our eyes would be open. Lives would be changed. We would stop looking at Christianity as some religion that if we do these things, we get to go to heaven and avoid hell. But instead, we would begin to recognize it's about a savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who made us his treasure. And one of the telltale signs that we are going to spend eternity with Christ is that even now on planet earth, we seek to know him. We seek to understand him. We've invited him into our hearts. And I pray for anyone who has not done that. This, is, this would be the weekend. This would be the time. This would be the season. That they would say, Lord Jesus, come and live on the inside of my heart that I may know you in the way that you seek to be known that I may fall in love with you, that I may worship you with my life and one day be in eternity forever and ever with you in Christ's name, amen.
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.